Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Bill Noobs has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Be like Bill. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, April 9th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from the shores of Finland, where it's late and I'm tired, I'm Patrick Beja. And uh, on the safe, uh, safety of dry land, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. We're going to start practicing the intros, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> snap, snap. Let's get through that. Uh, we got robots. We got AI. Uh, we have crypto, Firefox, Apple rumors, 3D printed robots, drone delivery of, of golf clubs. It's all in today's show. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. We got a lot of cloud announcements from the Google Cloud Next conference. Launching out of beta is Anthos, Google's platform for managing hybrid clouds that combine local data centers with Google Cloud, but can also run on AWS and Azure. Google also signed partnerships with seven open source companies and announced new regions in both Salt Lake City and Seoul, South Korea. Dropbox unveiled a feature that lets businesses, users work with Google Docs, Sheets, and Slides without having to leave Dropbox. And in non-Google Cloud news, Slack announced new integrations with Microsoft Office 365, including a new Outlook calendar and a mail app and an updated OneDrive app and office file previews within Slack. Woohoo! At its AI day, Qualcomm announced the Snapdragon 665, 730, and 730G chips. The Snapdragon 730 gets the computer vision processor that allows for 4K HDR with portrait mode and depth sensing at 60 FPS. The Snapdragon 6730G uh, now has 15% faster graphics rendering, allowing for HDR content. And the Snapdragon 665 has telephoto, wide-angle, and super-wide-angle cameras, supports 4K video at 30fps, depth sensing, and 3D face unlock. All three chips will come to devices by mid-2019. Twitter cut the number of accounts that users can follow from 1,000 per day to 400 in an effort to prevent spammers from following, then unfollowing accounts in a bulk, aggressive, or indiscriminate manner. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Which is against Twitter rules, but still happens. Twitter also recently updated its reporting tools to let users report spam, like fake accounts, and added new security measures around account verification and sign up. Firefox is adding crypto mining and fingerprinting blocks to the beta and nightly versions of Firefox, and it should arrive in the stable version in three weeks. Crypto mining is where a site possibly, without your knowledge, loads code into your browser that mines cryptocurrency. Might want to know about that ahead of time. Fingerprinting is using data about your browser, fonts, OS, and other details to try to track you. So Firefox is using scripts from the folks at disconnect.me to block both types of content. All right, let's talk about those Apple predictions, I would call them. Ming-Chi Kuo's got a pretty good track record on this stuff. Uh, What is he saying, Patrick? Well, he is saying that he believes Apple will launch a 31.6-inch 6K external display in the second or third quarter of this year, 2019, with a mini-LED backlight. We might see it announced at WWDC on June 3rd. Quo also thinks Apple may launch a new iPad and new MacBook with mini-LED displays by late 2020 or 2021. Quo says the mini-LED iPad will have a 10 to 12-inch screen and the mini-LED MacBook would be around 15 to 17 inches. Likely a MacBook Pro mini-LED screen panels will allow... um, uh, I'm sorry, like, likely a MacBook Pro. Uh, mini LED screen panels allow richer colors, higher contract rate, con- contracts, <clears throat> contrast. That's easy to say. Ratios and <laughs> use thinner panels that use less power. Of all of all of these, uh, you know, supposed these aren't announcements. This is just something that, yes, like you mentioned, Tom Ming Chi has a great track record. So there's there, you, you, you want to take this sort of stuff seriously. What jumped out to me the most is like 17 inch MacBook Pro, really? Because I I have an old 17 inch MacBook Pro and it's massive. Uh, I 
didn't think that Apple was doing that form factor anymore. Well, they might not be. I mean, he he has a good track record, uh, but it says, you know, a, a do you you say mini LED like OLED? I never thought about that. I guess that makes sense. I've been saying mini LED, but that just seems wasteful now that I think about it. Anyway, a MacBook <laughs> with uh, mini LEDs or mini LEDs. Save uh, yourself two syllables. Would be around 15 to 17 inches, could be 16 inches, which would be a really weird one. I well, that yeah. was actually his initial prediction uh, from a few months ago that he's now revising. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was supposed to be coming a little bit earlier than his current uh, prediction. Um, it, I, I think it's interesting because they would be remaking the form factor and the design, which might mean a different type of keyboard. Uh, they keep having issues with the butterfly design for the keys. <laughs> Maybe they'll, I, I guess they still want to have it super thin, but a uh, new type of butterfly uh, keys. I, I think the most likely thing out of all of this is the 31.6 inch 6K display coming in Q3. We'll probably hear about that at WWDC, like you said. The rest of this is is longer term. Longer term is always harder to predict. The, the idea that maybe they would get a keyboard, by the way, not something Min Chi Kuo said. Those were the hopeful words that I also support. <laughs> from Patrick Beja. <laughs> well, so we all, a we, new keyboard, you got to credit Patrick Beja with getting that one right is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I know we all dabble in, in video editing and certainly we're all in the same line of work. But when I look at 31.6 inch 6K external display, obviously I don't know what the price is yet. Gonna guess it's going to be on the high end of of, of any monitor. But I, 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 I understand that if you're a professional, this would be potentially an amazing purchase. For me right now, I mean, I've got a 28 inch monitor and like, I, it's big, <laughs> it's big, it, you it's know, it's too much. It's, it's lovely, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't need anything bigger. Um, and I, and I don't know why I would need 6k, but again, that's just, you know, my feeling eyes. All right, moving on to Facebook. Facebook first shared its work on AI mapping back in 2016 when the company started creating population density maps, um, went through about 22 nations. Today, the company shared new progress that covers what it says is the majority of the continent of Africa. And the company also says it will strive to cover nearly the whole world's population going down the road. Data from OpenStreetMaps is used to train a computer vision system to recognize buildings in satellite imagery. That's how you can kind of tell, you know, population density. There's a lot of a lot of moving parts here. Then engineers at Facebook use this to remove available satellite data that showed unoccupied land where people don't live. Facebook verified the work with researchers from the Center for International Earth Science Information Network at Columbia University, and the maps will be released for free to anyone for use. That's important because this is not Facebook hoarding maps uh, for its own use. They're making them for public use. They'll be open for people to use. Uh, and they are promoting them as being helpful in disaster relief, which they absolutely would, or perhaps in vaccinations or you know fighting Ebola outbreaks, things like that. Uh, by knowing where the population densities are, that, that can be extremely helpful in situations. In fact, the previous maps uh, that Facebook has made have been used in the United States. Uh, they are also good for Facebook to figure out where they could roll out their, you know, internet from the air or any other kind of internet connectivity uh, to underserved areas where they can then try to get people to start using Facebook. And I think that's uh, uh, how the world has changed since the good old days of 2016, because the the, the first 
thing that comes to your mind in 2016 when Facebook is doing that is, oh, you know, they have lots of information using AI to make sense of it and helping disaster relief through density maps. Excellent. This, this is really cool. Like, this is cool tech. Today, you hear that story. Of course, the substance of it is still the same. But I think what a lot of people get is, ooh, wait, Facebook is using AI to know where people are and making maps of the world? <laughs> This is worrisome, and, and I don't know how to feel about it. I certainly had a, a little bit of a tingly feeling of, hmm, I, I'm not sure if that's a, a good thing or not, before I dove a little bit deeper in the story. Well, but the fact that Facebook wants to bring Facebook to any living human, if at all possible, would I... I, I I can't imagine you're really surprised by something like this, Patrick. No, of course not. I don't think that's the thing that is, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a rational feeling. It's just the aura of Facebook today is very different from the one uh, three or four years ago. And when you hear about the, the, the things they can do with all the data they have, you immediately think they, well, or at least I did, uh, I immediately, my mind went to, is that a good or a bad thing? hedging on maybe bad and and then i have to rationalize it and think about what it actually means but it's a di very different reaction from i think what many people had four years ago and i think it's a it's a, a a good check on yourself to not assume something is bad just because you hear one single word like facebook you need to evaluate this stuff on the merits and i think there is a lot of good in this and it does not seem to violate data privacy it's using no, I, available satellite imagery to create something that is free for everyone to use i would even go so far as to say this is absolutely a good thing it's just that the initial reaction has changed a lot yeah 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 a robot developed at uc berkeley called blue aims to make robots less expensive and safer to work with blue has two humanoid arms with pincers at the end which can be controlled using vr hand controllers they use htc vive controllers not the headset just the controllers uh or they can be trained using reinforcement learning its parts are 3d printed that keeps the cost down it has a central vision module and depth sensing camera so it can sense and react to its environment its arms are controlled by motors with rubber bands that give it a little more flexibility and it doesn't have the sub-millimeter control of a current factory robot, but it can adapt to its conditions. That makes it more flexible in what it can do, what it can learn to do, and it makes it safer because it's not always doing the exact same thing every time, no matter whether a human's in its way or not. It can learn to back off if it runs into somebody. Blue cost about $3,000 in parts to make, and the team expects it to sell for around $5,000. Rethink had a similar concept in its Baxter and Sawyer robots that shut down in 2018. So some people are skeptical whether Blue can make it work. And another similar Danish company called Universal Robotics is still in business, uh, but they're doing things a little bit differently uh blue seems to be the the latest in an attempt to say let's let's make an accessible affordable robot that can be used in a lot more situations than just really capital intensive factories and they give it hands which is probably a good way of uh, making you, sure it's you hands, hands with pincers. Awesome. The yeah. hands are, yeah. you know, the pincers and the hands are not the new part of this, right? <laughs> well, I mean, two hands and, and, and 
There are, ro- there are robots that look exactly like that, but they just do sub-millimeter precision. So they're like, I have, I can do one thing and one thing only, and if anything gets in my way, I'm going to keep doing it. And the the thing with this is it can do a lot of different things. You can train it uh, very easily. It costs a lot less. And if it runs into somebody, it can back off and go, whoa, uh, or, or even see somebody coming and, not, and cause fewer accidents that way. Whenever I hear stories like this, I go, okay, well, this is out of my price range, but this is also not really for me, you know, having my little friendly robot in the home. However, prices are coming down and robots are getting better. So in my mind, I immediately go to, well, the Roomba was a really great purchase for lots of folks. It's like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a smart vacuum cleaner, right? But there are lots of limitations to that. What if you could have something like this that could do something that lots of everyday folks want? Somebody to clean your house um, and you need dexterity and there has to be some vertical motion and that sort of thing. And if the price comes down just a little bit more, it becomes something that I would take seriously. Yeah, it's a great point because down the road, we might benefit from this in our homes the way an Apple II wasn't something that everybody put in their homes, but enough people did and small businesses used them that it paved the way for cheaper computers. And now we all carry supercomputers in our pockets. So this, right. you know, this, I'm not saying blue is the Apple II of robots, although I did see that headline today, but it is the kind of thing that you need to catch on uh, for that to happen. And this is going to be great for smaller businesses that couldn't afford those $100,000 robots on the factory line that were less, less flexible and less capable. So this, this, I think it's a pretty big advancement. Also, you're you're underestimating the fact that it has hands. I mean, it, <laughs> I forgot has pincers, right? Don't forget pincers. Very nice. Tom, Tom, very very smart hands with pincers. <laughs> Alphabet's Wing has received approval from Australia's CASA to begin using UAVs to make deliveries to a limited number of eligible homes in the suburbs north of Canberra, Australia. Wing has tested the service three thousand times over the past eighteen months in a different suburb called Bonython. Uh, deliveries may include food, coffee, and over-the-counter items from Kickstart Espresso. I guess that's Fast Espresso. Capital Chemist, so you can get your over-the-counter drugs like your aspirins and such. Pure Gelato, you, know, you get a gelato delivered right to your house. Yeah. Jasper and Myrtle Baker's Delight, Guzman y Gomez, and Drummond Golf. So if you need that five iron, you could just have it delivered right out to the green. Well, you get to have it delivered to your home. But maybe better, better be a fast drone if you're sending me gelato because I need it to be in a certain form when I get point. it. Great point. These drone deliveries will happen in minutes. They say. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Uh, I've, I've read a little bit about the story, and there are some local folks who complain about the noise of the drones because they've been doing tests for about a year now. But besides that, it does sound like it has been an overall success. There haven't been. Uh, security issues. There haven't been accidents, um, at least nothing that's been reported. And I mean, this is, you know, it's kind of a dream life. If you can, maybe not gelato, but if you can send me a burrito through the sky, I, I want that as well for my local neighborhood. It's fine. Um, <laughs> what, what don't you like about this? <laughs> about burrito deliveries? It's fine. It's okay. Um, I think the thing I do like about it is if it uh, cuts down on vehicle travel, um, if delivering yeah, something, point. you know, if you don't, you don't need to send someone on a little scooter to, to deliver your whatever, gelato or burrito or other food item that ends in O, um, 
it's probably a good thing. It's a little bit faster, etc. All the the benefits. Um, I, I guess there are some areas where it's definitely a significant plus. But I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm in my grumpy old person mode uh, today because I'm, I, I, I read the story and, and I'm you're thinking like, it doesn't have hands. <laughs> yeah, it seems convenient. It'll keep scooters <laughs> off the road. I hate it. <laughs> and it's not even I don't know. I guess we have drone delivery in operation in multiple parts of the world right now. This is just uh, the latest one from Project Wing, uh, Alphabet's right. company. Uh, making a little progress, so it's not even like that's new. You're just like you don't want you don't want some drone buzzing around your house. I get it. I they think, had to make I think these quieter the, to get approval. By the way, the, exactly. the beta test was a little loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I guess I'm grumpy today. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Well, you don't play golf. You hate gelato. I get it. Right? Why would <laughs> yeah. I do this? Stuff? Right. Yeah, doesn't need aspirin. <laughs> You know what I love? I love 16K screens. Really? And uh, lucky for me, (laughs) at NAB in Las Vegas, Sony announced it is installing a 16K screen at the Shiseido Cosmetics Group Research Center in Yokohama, Japan. The screen is 19.2 meters long and 5.4 meters high. That's 63 by 17 feet and stretches between the first and second floors. It's the largest 16K uh, TV of its kind yet. Sony previously installed 16K TVs at the Haneda Airport in 2014. Both installations are made of multiple panels, but the new one in Yokohama has no bezels, so viewers can't see any seams between the panels. The TV uses micro LEDs similar to Samsung's The Wall. Yeah, so we've seen The Wall at CES for a couple CESs now. Um, and that that is one aspect of this. Not many uh, mini LEDs, which we heard about, uh, are something coming sooner to, to smaller ones. Micro LEDs or LEDs uh, is what's used here. And I guess uh, one of the reasons I wanted to include this story in the show at all was to kind of put on everybody's radar that while we don't even know what 8K would be good for yet, uh, there is 16K being developed. And from what I can tell, it's impressive because you can walk right up to it and it's like you're looking out a window. You you don't see the pixels, uh, which gives it sort of an illusion of depth that, that you don't get from a 4K screen. Uh, you get it a little bit from an 8K screen. Uh, granted, if you're into cosmetics, going to the Shiseida uh, Research Center is, is going to be fun anyways. So, you know, having a 16K screen up and down will give me something to do when Eileen and I visit Yokohama someday. But yeah, I, I, I think this is... This is a milestone. It's not necessarily showing us what this is going to be good for. Yeah, and and that's sort of my question is you're exactly right. If you're going to be at the Shiseido whatever and, you know, it's this is cosmetics and it's makeup and it's, you know, you know stuff that's very detailed and and colors are, are important and if it looks good, it's going to be mm. super impressive. Outside of kind of that shopping center world, where is this actually going to be? going to be picked up. Um, and I, I'm not saying it won't be. I'm just trying to think of where that would be besides something that's kind of flashy, oh, big, splashy, you know, look at this car, uh, you know, it, on this beautiful screen or, or, or someone's face done up nicely. Patrick, you um, were looking up resolutions for this before the show, and I, because Nick with a C asked the same question we were asking before the show, which is, is 16K just for 4K displays? And the answer is no. 
No, it isn't. Uh, the the number of k's, uh, the the k counts the number of lines. So uh, you have to multiply by the other uh, uh, axis to get the actual resolution. So. 4K is 4,000 lines, 16K is 16,000 lines, and you have a ton more pixels uh, on the other axis. Um, uh, Resolution-wise, 4K, there are a couple of different resolutions. You're looking at about 9 megapixels. Uh, 16K, there are like 15 different resolutions that range from 60 or 70 megapixels to uh, like 300. But on average, it's about 100. So you get from 9 megapixels to 100 megapixels. That's a factor of 10. It's significant, but the um, screen size for that, I didn't do the exact calculations, but I'm guessing, uh, given the gigantic human, humongousness of that screen, is probably about a factor of 10 compared to, or maybe even more, compared to your 4K TV. So I'm guessing the effect is roughly the same uh, if you count a, a pixel per inch um, as your 4K TV, depending on how close you are. Um, so it, the, the difference is it's gigantic and it looks as good. Yeah, you can make it bigger and still have it maintain its its sharpness. Sort yeah. Of. yeah. Roku announced new features in its 9.1 OS for boxes and TVs. Searches within genres will now be broken into further categories like new releases and free. Voice commands will include commands to turn captioning on and off and replay to go back a few seconds. And signing into your Roku account on a new device will also sign you into participating apps like Hulu and Pandora. The app, uh, the update rather will start rolling out to Roku boxes in the next few weeks and come to Roku TVs in the early summer. I have some questions on how they are handling the single sign-in, uh, which is important because they're they're passing along tokens, uh, sign-in tokens, and that's that's important to get right. You can get it right. I'm not assuming they're getting it wrong, but I would like to know uh, that somebody who knows this stuff has looked into that. That said, great great feature when you set up a new Roku, you don't have to go in and sign into every single app again, uh, which can be pretty daunting and annoying. Uh, I think the thing that's caught most people's eye here is what you said about the free category when you go into the various genre categories because most of the free stuff that you're seeing in these search results at least in the mock-ups is roku's own channel which has a bunch of free stuff in the roku app and roku has often been seen as the most even playing ground right they were the one for the longest time that were the only place you could get everybody uh, except for the proprietary stores like Google Play or Apple iTunes. But you could get everything else on Roku and you couldn't get it on Android or, or Apple TV for a while. That's changed now. And it looks like Roku is is trying to prioritize its own services because that's where it sees the growth in its money. Is it? I understand it's not the same thing, but is it in the same vein as Android TV adding a, a new channel that is essentially ads no that's a good that's a good point it is not the same thing as that because what roku is doing is saying in our search results we'll have a free tier most of the free tier most people are going to have on their roku is from the roku channel because it's pre-installed but it's not paid placement whereas the android one that's paid placement that's on your home screen here's a bunch of people that have paid for the privilege of being put in front of you although roku does have ads on its splash screen when it goes to sleep Hmm. so you know, you might. Yeah, I guess when that. it goes to sleep is a different is yeah. a different experience. But uh, do I guess they need to? Uh, it, it, the big question here is: Is this designed really to put Roku stuff front and center, or is it really to help the users find the free stuff more easily? In the second case, it makes sense. The both. answer is yes. <laughs> to yeah. Both. yeah. 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 Mm. 
Yeah, I, I, th- I think Roku knows that this will help users find stuff more easily and also help it the way that they're they're implementing mm-hmm. it. So. Yeah, and I, I don't really know what the incentive for Roku, Roku to be at this point of being like agnostic, you know, we're for everybody. It's like, you got to have original content and it, it's, it's apples and oranges a little bit when you compare Roku to, to other platforms that it is competing with on the hardware level, but there's, there's almost no reason not to try. It's literally apples and Rokus actually. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. And thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. We've got a group, facebook.com slash group slash dailytechnewsshow. Let us travel to Charles de Gaulle Airport. Why don't we? With Chris Christensen, who's sharing some tech bits that keep him excited there. This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. I am coming to you today from the Charles de Gaulle Airport, and I'm thinking about airports. Charles de Gaulle has not been my favorite, but there's a few technology things that have made me enjoy it more this trip. Not only is it linked via rail lines to the city and to via high-speed trains to just about everywhere in France, it also had a mobile app that let me easily find out what terminal I needed to get to for which airline. And then when I got to the airline via a train from a local hotel that was just off of Terminal 3, I could go and use a touch screen interface to quickly scroll through because I was three hours early to find the right flight to find out where I needed to check in. Charles de Gaulle is still not my favorite, but technology is making it more so. What is your favorite, technologically favorite airport? I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler. Mm. My favorite technological airport. Patrick, you fly in and out of that airport that he's mentioning, right? Yeah, it's so busy. I don't even have time to to enjoy or not enjoy it. You know, Paris is the uh, most touristy city in the world. So it's just it's too many people. So it kind of discounts it from being my favorite immediately because there's so so much stuff happening there. I have to say, uh, Zoe Brings Bacon reminds me that when I was going through the Minneapolis airport connecting flights one time, I was really impressed by the uh, restaurant there that allowed you to order food on a touchscreen without talking to anybody. You just went into the restaurant, sat down, order your food. Somebody brought it out to you. It was much faster. I had that experience in Houston recently, coming back from Mexico City. Uh, Had a long enough layover to be able to enjoy a meal leisurely, and I was floored. I had never seen anything so nice. Yeah. Listen, we all enjoy not having to talk to anyone. (laughs) So imagine, imagine the day that the hand-equipped robot will be the one to bring you your food. With pincers. Yes. Well... It can still carry no, the plan. No, we're we're gonna get to the point where we don't want to talk to the robots either. Will it come to Hanada, Inchon, <laughs> or Narita first? That's my question. Good question. All right, let's check out the mailbag, Sarah. Let's do it. Seth wrote in about our conversation from yesterday. It was a conversation about Viber, but but the idea of 
of of needing a phone number that is not necessarily your phone number that you might use on a regular basis for good reasons. Seth says, uh, I'm from New England originally, but I've lived in LA for the past 12 years in an apartment. The issue I ran into was I wanted to keep my phone number and the apartment building's door buzzer worked by inputting a phone number to call didn't allow for area codes needing a local number for me to be contacted at. For a time, I used to use Google Voice to create a number which worked quite well. Unfortunately, I switched to Project Fi, which for technical reasons lost me that number. So now I'm using the Skype phone number that you can pay for. It's literally only used by my front doorbell, allowing me to let delivery people in while I'm at work, but I don't give it out to anybody and I don't ever use it to make any calls. I'm going to price compare Skype against Viber to see if I can save a little, but just thought that this use case might add to the discussion. Yeah. So he never needs to call out. The whole thing with Viber is you can't call out on the number yet, they say eventually, but call in. And if you just need it for a doorbell, I guess that would work. But then I don't know. Why would you? Hmm. I guess I, I, I've, I've actually done this before with Google yeah. Voice back in the day. Yeah, at an old apartment in San Francisco where I just I had to give them a phone number, and I was like, "This is going to be problematic otherwise." So yes, I'm with you, Seth. Pretty niche, but useful for those who need it. Uh, and then Natalie wrote in and said, "Hello, all listening to episode 3505. Reminded me of my most memorable experience with USBs and corrupted files." In my freshman year of high school, I was studying for an FFA floral competition that required memorizing around 40 or more plants in a couple of months. In preparation, I used the computer in the classroom to save a bunch of images and some PowerPoints to my very first USB drive. I brought it home to study for the weekend, and to my horror, every single file was corrupted. I resorted to image searching on our super slow connection at home until I gave up and waited until Monday. Our group ended up getting second place, but these days I still get a little panicked when a coworker doesn't bother with ejecting their USB drives. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you all. Thank yeah. you, Natalie. Now, the new thing is, we mentioned this yesterday, but if you missed it, in Windows 10 now, you can pull out the drive without ejecting it first. They've made it so that won't cause these problems, but we had asked, Vlad Savov had asked, who has had a problem in the past? And we got a number of emails from people who, in fact, have had problems. Natalie was one of them. Uh, So thank you, Natalie, and everyone else. Absolutely. And thanks to Patrick Beja for being with us this fine Tuesday evening. Patrick, where can people keep up with what all cool things you're doing? I don't know why I said it that way, but whatever. They can do a couple of things. Uh, They can subscribe to MVGB, the monthly video game briefing. If you enjoy gaming, but you're not a hardcore gamer, Scott uh, Johnson, who will be here tomorrow, I believe, uh, and myself do a monthly brief where we tell you what you need to know. And uh, you can also go to FrenchSpain.com, where I host my podcasts. One is Pixels, about gaming for more hardcore gamers, and The Phineas Club, where we talk about the world and uh, what is happening in it, uh, often in alarming but also enjoyable ways. That's frenchspin.com. Folks, if you like hanging out with me and Sarah and Roger and Patrick and friends, there is more that you can hang out with us at a show called Good Day Internet. It is an extended show that includes Daily Tech News Show within it. 
but it has us chatting before the show, extending the conversation after the show. Sometimes it's more about the topics that we talk about in the show. Sometimes it's just us talking about some of our favorite things. We often get into etymology somehow, and the only way to get Good Day Internet is to subscribe to it through the RSS feed in our Patreon at patreon.com slash DTNS. If you've got feedback, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Keep that feedback coming. We sure love to have it. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then. Good night, Rob. (laughs) This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.